Hello, everyone. Welcome to Safe Harbor, a podcast for parents of children with special needs. I'm your host, Teresa Bartolotta, and this is episode four. I want to thank everyone who has given me such terrific feedback on episode three and all of the other previous episodes. I also want to thank everyone who's done a rating for me. Those five-star ratings and reviews help elevate the podcast in wherever you listen to podcasts and helps us reach a larger audience. So I'm really excited to continue this project and also to hear your feedback on what I talk about today and also what you'd like to hear about in the future. I've got some really amazing guests for some future episodes, but today is a solo episode. And the topic that I want to talk to you about today is fear. And after I do that, I'll also have a book review for you. So on to fear. So fear is something that we feel at many, many different times of our life. And I know we all know what kinds of different fears we have. We live with fear at different times. Certainly, the last couple of years have been fearful for all of us across the world. And right now, there is war in Europe. And I know that it's affecting all of us. Certainly, some very, very painfully I know there are families of children with Rett syndrome who have had to flee Ukraine. And I know there are families of children with Rett syndrome in Russia. And I know some of them personally. And my heart is going out to everyone who is affected. And I know that we are praying for peace. But we're going to fear that we feel on a maybe a daily or a monthly or an ongoing basis. I want to talk about the different kinds of fear that we can experience in our lives. So the first kind of fear is that visceral fear that we encounter, a fear that really should stop us in our tracks when something terrible is threatening us. Perhaps you're driving along and you almost have a car accident and, you know, your your heart is beating and you're breathing fast And you feel the rush of the adrenaline surge through your body and then leave your body, leaving you feeling exhausted and worn out. There's also a terrible fear that we experience when we lose a loved one who's close to us. So this visceral type of fear is something that we encounter when there is a real danger or a real risk to us, our safety, or to someone who's close to us. And what happens is adrenaline surges through our body and activates muscles and our respiratory system and our heart. It's when we get that fight or flight feeling, when we feel like we must escape. And that can really save us, help us run away from danger, help us move in a moment of terror so that we can activate and get everyone to safety. We also feel this kind of visceral fear when things happen regarding our children. For example, a new medical diagnosis like seizures, an unexplained symptom that could indicate that something's terribly wrong and maybe our child can't explain to us what's going on. Or perhaps they need an operation. We go into protection mode and our adrenaline kicks in. Sometimes we go without sleep. We do amazing things as we find the best doctor 
the best treatment. I've lived through this many times, as I know that so many of you have. When my daughter Lisa was 12 years old, her scoliosis developed out of almost nowhere. We were prepared because we knew that people with Rett syndrome tend to have scoliosis. So we watched carefully for it. And when she began to have her spine curve, we knew that we were in for a dire outcome and that it was going to progress unless we did something. And so Lisa needed a major surgery, was in the hospital for a week. I never left her side. And then she was home for an entire summer recovering. We were very lucky to come out of that. But when I think about the toll that this took on me, of course, others in my family, my husband, our son, it affected all of us deeply. But it was as if I was on guard for her, like at a heightened state of awareness, alertness, fear. And it didn't stop. It went on for weeks and weeks and months. And then when she finally recovered from the surgery and got her brace off, the next day, she had her first grand mal seizure. And it happened during the night. And we had to call 911 because she stopped breathing. It lasted almost 15 minutes. And I remember then trying to put her to bed on subsequent nights and not wanting to lay her down because I was afraid it was going to happen again and that she would stop breathing and I wouldn't be able to save her this time. So those of you who have children with special needs, I know that you've experienced different kinds of things, but some of them are likely very similar. As you raise your child, these stressful situations that happen to us over and over again, where we are continually in a fear state, can harm our bodies and do lasting damage if we stay in this fight or flight mode for a prolonged period of time. I remember when I first realized that Lisa had a disability. She was so young, and it was clear that she was regressing and not developing. And I felt so scared and fearful for her and for all of us. And I had that feeling for years. I remember driving around, taking her from doctor to doctor or therapist to therapist. And I had a pit in my stomach and a tightness in my neck that never went away. Living in this type of fear hurts us. Continued stress can cause inflammation on our bodies, and this inflammation can lead to disease. It can make us really ill. For me, I believe that it caused a hypothyroid disorder that I developed a couple years after Lisa's diagnosis, and which I still deal with all these years later. So we can recognize this state of fear. We know that we're living in it. We can feel it. It affects our sleep. It affects our relationships. It affects how we make decisions. But how can we move out of it? Because we do have to care for ourselves. Because we need to be okay so that we can care for our children. So how can we take the time in this overwhelming situation to move out of this and to help ourselves become healthier and more grounded. So there's lots of different strategies that people suggest. 
Some will work for some of us. Others will work for other people. So I think if I'd known when Lisa was little, what I know now, I would make time or try to make time to journal and write about what I was going through. And then as I'm writing about it, write out what my fears are or were and think about what is the absolute worst thing that could happen. Taking it all the way to the end like that can help us recognize which of our fears are real and which are imagined. So for example, in the seizure situation, I know that I would get myself all worked up that, oh my God, she's going to have a seizure. And what am I going to do? And what if she has a seizure when she's sleeping? So what I realized is that I always heard what happened to her when she was sleeping. Our rooms were next to each other. I'm the one who woke up when she was having her grandma's seizure. And I went in and recognized what was going on because I slept always with a baby monitor for her. So if I wrote down and I had myself look at the situation and said, okay, what if she has another seizure in the middle of the night? What's really going to happen? So you know what's really going to happen? I'm going to hear her just like I did before. And I'm going to get up and I'm going to take care of her. But it's unlikely that's going to happen again because we just didn't have the seizure and then not do a treatment. We had took her to the neurologist and they prescribed medication. And she never had a similar situation occur again. The same kind of thing could have helped me as I processed everything that went on with her scoliosis surgery. So if we sit ourselves down and say, okay, this is my terrible fear. And you take it all the way to the end and say, okay, if this happens, then what will I do? What can I do? What likely will happen really? Then it can help us stay in reality about our fears and move away from those irrational thoughts, which can consume us and can only contribute worse to the stress. Also, we need to check in with ourselves. How are you feeling? Take a look at how you're dealing with life and are you taking care of yourself? There's so much information on the benefits of meditation and how healing it is for the mind and the body. I know that we were all busy, but if we can take out five minutes of some time to rest and to just be with ourselves and check in, the payoff is immeasurable. It can leave us refreshed and it can leave us better able to recognize what are those rational versus irrational fears and it help us better deal with everything that we encounter. And early on when I started talking about all of this, I mentioned the other kind of fear. So that other type of fear is a fear that is actually much more rational than the first one. It's actually a fear that can excite us and inspire us. So it's the kind of fear that feels almost like an excitement. It can happen when a new career opportunity is offered to us, or we find that house that we want to buy, some kind of new opportunity. Something comes into our life that feels really big, really exciting. It could be a new job. 
It could be an idea that would help your child starting a program that would help them, starting a social group, running a fundraiser, writing a book about your experiences, starting a podcast. Hey, I had a lot of fear, the good kind of fear around starting this podcast and doing other things that I've wanted to do about my experience as a parent of a child with special needs. But these things feel like callings. And if you feel a calling in your heart or have uncovered some kind of dream for your life, this is the kind of fear that I'm talking about. There is a writer who works with women to help them step into their callings and realize their great possibility. And her name is Tara Moore, M-O-H-R. And she has a book that she's written called Playing Big. And she also provides coaching for women to help them step into the possibilities. And she talks about these kinds of fears. And this second kind of fear, there's a Hebrew word for it called yura. And she quotes a rabbi who is her teacher as saying that yura is the fear that overcomes us when we suddenly find ourselves in possession of considerably more energy than we are used to, inhabiting a larger space than we are used to inhabiting, it is also the feeling we feel when we are on sacred ground. So if you've ever felt this calling or some kind of sense of inspiration around some kind of a project or idea, this is that type of feeling or this kind of fear. Sometimes this feeling will feel too big and we get frozen and we get stuck and we move forward and then when we move back. Brene Brown, who writes so much about stepping into possibility and being your authentic self, says that the fear of failure will hold us back from creativity, learning, and innovation. So identifying the type of fear that we are feeling can move us forward in pursuing our dreams and reaching for the opportunities that this life has brought us. So both types of fears physiologically feel the same. We get that racing heart, that quickened breathing, because they both give us adrenaline surges. But the first one is going to be destructive if we keep living in that fear because that fear is a lower level brain function than this exciting fear about our calling. Because if we can act on that, if we can move through that, that actually releases wonderful, wonderful chemicals and endorphins that really help us recognize what we are here to do and help us move forward in this. I know that I feel different callings in my life around the different roles that I have in my life. And one of those roles is to be a mom of a child with special needs. So that's been the fear behind this podcast and why I felt that I was called to do it. I did sit on it for a long time before I decided to move forward. It certainly takes a lot of courage to move away from 
whichever fear we're feeling, the good fear, the bad fear. But if we can activate courage and move forward to choose action over staying the same, we are brave and we will move into these new opportunities and find beauty and life and abundance. So what do you feel called to do? Do you feel fears around any of that? I'm going to continue some of the discussion about fear in upcoming episodes, and you'll hear from parents who felt called to do things as a result of living with their special child and what kind of magic they've created in the world. So please make sure to hop on to the Safe Harbor podcast Facebook group. Please join and let us know what kind of fears you've had in your life and what magic you've created or you want to create. So now on to the book review. Pearl S. Buck was a world-renowned writer. She won the Pulitzer Prize in 1932 and the Nobel in 1938, both for her novel, The Good Earth, which is likely familiar to most or all of you. However, a few people knew that Pearl S. Buck was a mom of a girl with developmental disabilities. Her daughter was born in 1920. Her name was Carol. And Carol failed to meet developmental milestones and had a number of physical and mental challenges. And if you can think about the early 20th century and what was available for families and children with special needs, there was very little available then. We didn't know a lot, even about typical child development. And there really were not services for children with developmental disabilities. So in 1950, Pearl wrote a book called The Child Who Never Grew. It's been reissued by Woodbine House and is available in hardcover and Kindle formats. Pearl writes about her daughter's life and the struggles they faced. We now know that Carol had PKU, which is now preventable due to newborn screenings, but at that time, it was not. The value of this book, as I see it, is threefold. First of all, this is an incredible writer who's writing this book about her life. Secondly, it is a deeply personal story from a mother who talks about the questions and struggles of raising her daughter. And thirdly, it's a glimpse into what things were like in the mid-20th century. And what it does is provide us with a good historical perspective, how things were before. And by understanding where we were, we can then see how far we've come. And that's a valuable perspective because many of us get frustrated that things aren't better. And we should want things to be better. But knowing where we've come from can give us a perspective that growth is possible, that change is possible, and it can renew our faith in the possibilities that lie before us. So thanks for listening today. Please rate and review the podcast if you have a chance. And please join our Facebook group. Drop by and leave a comment on your thoughts. 
Let's continue this discussion and let me know what you'd like to hear about in an upcoming episode. Also, please email me at safeharborpodcast at gmail.com. I'm building my mailing list and you'll be hearing about new projects in the near future. Until next time, stay well and thank you so much.